boom there it is ladies and gents we're getting started again man there are some people in this world who have a lot of education under their belt and today's guest is going to be just like that i'm ready to learn so much today let's get this show on the road here we go shut up and sit down is your business in need of customers then you found the right show Hernan Cias is the business bro, and he makes getting customers fun and easy. Watch, listen, and learn as each episode is designed to sell. Welcome to another episode of Business Bros. And as these things going on, I uh, I noticed my computer saying I got a weak internet signal, which would suck. But okay, well, we're going to push through this, hopefully, and it all goes through. All right, ladies and gents, who do I got on the show today? Let's first start with the fighter. All right, here we go. One of my favorite scenes in Endgame is when Tony calls Rocket Ratchet, and Rocket responds with, easy, pal. You're only a genius on Earth. Well, today's guest is just that. I mean, his expertise is in computational math and algorithms. He's got a bachelor's in engineering science and nuclear en uh, engineering and he discovered a method to price transaction costs with a patent pending. So let's welcome to the show, the founder of Corsdick. Uh, actually, I, I didn't want to say it like that, but I guess that's how you say it, right? Corsdick's this Noah Healy. <laughs> Noah, correct me. How do I say that? Uh, I usually pronounce it core disk. It's uh, for coordinated discovery. So it's the first syllable of each of those words. All right. Core disks. All right. Well, tell me what this stuff is. First of all, you know, why are you picking this particular venture? Why are you doing this? Because I want to know. Uh, well, um, because this is the most economically valuable project uh, available on earth. So there's not really much point in working on other ventures. Uh, this, what this is, is a better way to operate marketplaces, specifically commodity marketplaces, which are the foundation of national and global financial systems. Um, so price discovery lies at the heart of what makes capitalism function. And we've been using the same algorithm for price discovery since the Renaissance. And in the last century, people have learned a lot about optimization and algorithms. Uh, and we've learned that the algorithm that we're using isn't actually that good an idea with the technology that we have now. Uh, so those markets have been declining in how well they function over the last generation or so, and they'll keep declining, uh, and that will be really detrimental to all of our economies. Uh, and this is a mechanism which would allow them to not just go back to how well they used to function, but go back to go to functioning better than they ever have before. Let's talk about price discovery. So what, what, why is this such a fundamental thing in our economics right now? What, what is so important about discovering the, the right price for any one commodity? Uh, well, that goes all the way back to Adam Smith, who wrote his book, uh, The Wealth of Nations, around the same time that our nation itself was founded. 
Uh, and what Smith was actually all about wasn't so much finance, but specialization. That with the new machines that were coming online in those times, it was possible for workers to become very specialized in specific parts of the economy. And of course, over the last couple centuries, specializations increased at an enormous rate compared to where we were in the late 1700s. Computers allow for even greater amounts of specialization. You know, think about, you know, Facebook and Amazon and, and the people that they hire for jobs that didn't exist in, you know, the 90s. Um, so what price does, price is that invisible hand that Adam Smith was talking about that lets people who don't know each other and who aren't explicitly working together know how much or how little uh, they should be trying to make or use of various products. Uh, so for, for example, uh, if the price of steel is very high, people know that they should be producing more steel so they can make more money uh, and they should be trying to economize and use less steel so that they can save more money. Uh, and if the price of steel is very low, then people should know that they should make less steel so that, you know, they, they make it more economically or use more because it's going to be, it's going to be a cheaper material to use. So for example, the, to, to get specific, the late lumber uh, spike. Um, yeah, that was bad. Right. Those sorts of price derangements uh, ripple across uh, the, the economy as a whole and have all sorts of unpredictable outcomes. And so being able to see those things coming down the pike and plan accordingly is, is actually central to what markets offer us uh, as a civilization. You're essentially using data to predict the future, sounds like. Like, you know where a trend is going to go. One mistake in this type of output or this type of production or this type of delivery system, these are the cascading effects that that's going to have uh, in, in almost in perpetuity? Or, or, like, how far out does this scope uh, go out? <laughs> in other words, what do you do? What do you do to calculate that? Uh well, so what I do is I provide a forum for people to come together to calculate that information. So the, the key inside of marketplaces is that uh, no one person, no one algorithm can actually keep track of the entire world and the future. Um, but all of us together can do the best that we can do. Uh, and so what markets generally do is they project out for uh, a few years, some in some cases, uh, up out to a couple of decades. Um, the market in 30-year mortgages rather famously failed in 2008, but that was a that was a multi-decade de decade marketplace. Um, what I've found is an algorithm that increases the returns for the people participating in this prediction system to figure out where prices are going and what they ought to be. Uh, at the same time that it reduces the actual cost of the market itself for the people that need to make those transactions. So you get a more efficient allocation of money for information, whereas the existing marketplace 
that's uh, what's known as an emergent system, uh, which means that it's basically made up of just everyone sort of going in and pulling around as much as they can. And it's sort of, it's, it's largely random, but at the end of the day, there's, there's enough of a margin that it sort of goes the way you want it to go. Uh, that's actually a, a pretty good system uh, if the market operators and the market users are on a pretty level playing field. But modern computer and communication technology have tilted that field strongly towards the insiders. And so that's where market costs have been going up uh, in, in aggregate for, for a generation. So let me ask you, who's, who's, uh, hiring you to do business? So like, what, what problem are you, are you seeing in the marketplace that you're helping solve, uh, in, in FinTech? Hey, we've got a problem here. Uh, so there's two issues. Uh, the one is, is the thing that I get actually consultancies for uh, is lowering the cost of setting up marketplaces. Traditional markets uh, essentially have a, a flow level, you know, price of entry in the high billions per year. So if, if you have discovered some commodity space that does a hundred million dollars business a year, you can't support a futures uh, market structure on top of that because the market just can't earn enough money to pay the people who know how to operate those markets. Coordinated discovery is much less expensive to operate. And so you would be able to set up markets in those kinds of spaces. And so at this point, blockchain people that are trying to set up de novo markets are, are the point of interest. Um, the much larger problem, which I still need to publicize uh, because people aren't really internalizing it yet, is that the existing market algorithm that we have, as I said, uh, is actually degrading in value. And so even the established market players are going to find themselves eventually losing customer base uh, and being abandoned because they're just not going to be able to offer uh, a a service that that is worth the price of, of their existence. Um, you can see some of this sort of around the corners, although organizing it around this other piece of knowledge that the algorithm itself is broken isn't widespread. But things like the flash crashes, uh, there was an incident in the beef market about five years ago where the beef market essentially had to suspend trade uh, for a few months because it was so thin a single uh a single contract exchange caused the entire marketplace to move several percent um and that made the market so risky that no one was willing to trade anything on it for quite some time um those sorts of things will continue and will get worse because the algorithm itself is working against a technological base that that is undermining its its capacity and so in the medium to long term we will have to change how our markets function uh or they will simply stop functioning 
So it sounds like you are looking into some of the newer blockchain technologies and kind of taking that kind of algorithm and kind of making it better, but saying that our our structure as it is needs some sort of swap sometime soon. It sounds almost like a like a great reset kind of. So who is this uh, client that you are looking for to work with or the, that person that can help achieve that goal? I am looking for qualities beyond the physical. Qualities beyond the physical. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm I'm looking for the first train leaving the station. I actually have a dual strategy, uh, as you mentioned, the patent pending. Uh, I'm trying to g gain a patent in the United States, but globally it's open source. So if somebody overseas decides to pick up some code, look at the white paper, roll with it, that's that's good too. Um, the the clients that I'm currently talking to, as I said, are attempting to establish markets on various kinds of blockchain technologies. But the the ideal would be one of the established uh, market players, either who currently controls uh, multiple major benchmarks like the Intercontinental Exchange or the CME Group in this country or the London Metals Exchange in Europe um, or uh, other sort of, I would say, like, B-tier uh, uh, markets uh, that would like to attain regional autonomy uh, uh, and expand or, or you know, take over the market. So, uh, you know, various iBank or hedge funds on Wall Street might want to have a larger role in the financial uh, uh, situation or uh, the EU. Um, one of the issues with Brexit is that the primary markets in in the EU are headquartered in London, um, and so there's a very open question of where primary markets will be for the EU with with Brexit gone. That hasn't really been explicitly resolved yet, uh, and also emerging markets, India, Africa, uh, they're very exciting um, because. There's a lot of people, they're getting a lot richer than they've ever been before, and they are really ramping up the degree to which they're going to need uh, uh, functioning local markets to to manage their their economies. That's a lot of moving parts. Feels like, I mean, how are you going to find or how have you been looking for that ideal client? How do you find those, uh, I mean, those types of people? Yeah, customer acquisition. Like, how are you finding those those people? How are you getting yourself out there? Uh, my initial push out was on LinkedIn, um, and I also went to the Commodity Futures Trading Conference in the United States. I was sort of setting up to try to get a presentation slot uh, in the 2019 one. Um, that didn't happen because COVID did instead. Uh, and now I'm transitioning more towards uh, this blogging, social media, trying to get the word out in this fashion. Um, so that's that's the plan. What kind of uh, what kind of funding did you get started with, like to to grow this thing? I mean, I know you're using you know other people's other resources to kind of collaborate and make this thing happen. But what does it take to start something like this? Well, to launch a marketplace is, is well beyond my, my capacity. Um, 
the the regulatory overhead of, of launching a marketplace inside the United States uh, is millions of dollars. And you effectively have to flush all that down a toilet. It's just checks you have to write to attorneys to talk to attorneys that work for the government and decide what's going to go on. Um, in terms of what I've been doing so far, um, there's some nest egg. Um, I've gotten some family and friends support to, to keep me going. And I had a day job for a few years. Uh, one of the nice things about being a, uh, you know, expert in data and software is that it's not that difficult to find work these days. And the work that I find pays a, a good chunk more than my actual lifestyle requires. So um, I can I can have a job and and sort of hire people to do some work for me, uh, but that's that's it's that's a tough part of of this is that um, there's a a chicken and egg hump to get over that is that's uh, fairly high. So what do you mean by that? What what kind of chicken and egg scenario are we talking here? Uh, well, the the sort of primary. Uh, uh, fintech path there's sort of three of them um there's uh kids who are just out of or still in college that uh effectively are given a hundred million dollars by large financial institutions essentially they're uh large banks other places like that will have incubators uh that let these 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 you know, fresh faces come up with ideas and exist under the aegis of their regulatory uh, uh, position. And uh, national banking licenses, that's $100 million in, these, in, in the United States. So that's, that's a big thing. Uh, the second path is blockchain people who have various... Uh, attitudes towards the law, but many of whom uh, are either explicitly operating in in countries with legal regimes that don't have any real regulatory costs attached to them, or uh, choosing to simply ignore uh, what the local regulatory picture is. There have been some uh, very bad stories out of the nft space with people essentially selling nfts to artwork that they have no rights to um and then essentially just saying well you know i did it so so what uh which isn't really a great response and then the third path is uh industry industry insiders people who are around my age who have been working in finance for a couple decades who could retire for the rest of their lives, but want to get really rich and they've got enough money to pay these regulatory expenses. Um, so they do. Uh, I'm not on any of those paths. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the age of the successful insider, but I'm an outsider. Uh, I'm not young enough for, for, you know, getting the kid in the, in, in the incubator. And I'm not, actually terribly interested in the iconoclasm of trying to wipe out the world. I think well-regulated markets should in fact be regulated. Um, so 
those sorts of paths are tough to get on and and sort of the more traditional tech kind of funding is is very much based on already having a client base so needing needing the regulatory up front before you can really even talk to clients about becoming clients um for for the users of the system uh means that that i would have to be in business to be able to fundraise to get into business and that's where the chicken and egg comes in mm, that is uh quite a little conundrum you got there but um gives me an idea of where you're at and i was i had a thought as you're going through the different uh, legal battles between cryptos and and the the where they are locally and where they're transacting business and it got me thinking of what's going on in canada right now where there's people who are uh donating to that truckers um uh supporting their their rally or the the different truckers and now that canada started freezing bank accounts if you contributed over there and i was like oh okay and i'm thinking most people are pulling their money and we're gonna where are they gonna put it and the first thing that popped into my mind was the crypto like people are gonna move their money somewhere where they can learn to transact uh what, what's your opinion about what's going on and and how that can be resolved um that situation is extremely bad uh the, the the government is is essentially pulling up the ladder they're standing on at this point um the a government in order to maintain legitimacy it needs the consent of nearly all of its people and one of the one of the consequences of that hyper specialization i was talking about is that at this point almost every specialization is actually critical. Um, the truckers are sort of obviously very important, but uh, any other segment of society that decided to go out and be loud or just sit on their butt for a while uh, would be utterly devastating. Um, whether it, they're public service professionals like cops or firemen or uh, various kinds of private service professionals, if all the car mechanics or all the all the you know engineers or all the doctors or all the computer programmers uh, just decided to go away, you know, you're if if all the computer programmers decided to sit on their duffs for a few weeks, how long would cell phones keep working? Um, yeah. How long how long would the internet stay up? How long would sites that people use you were talking about, you know, freezing your assets. How many people use banking assets through ATMs and online banking? And what if all of those things just failed at the same time? Oh. Um, so, so figuring out how to maintain a a polity of mutual consent from virtually everybody. Uh, is an incredibly difficult task and probably more difficult than than the government of Canada is capable of of addressing and not really it's not really uh something specific to them i think they're they're kind of outliers uh in in this for a, a couple of different reasons but it's this our governments haven't seen a significant upgrade in their capacity to sort of have a theory of government 
anywhere in the world in the last mm. century. And the problem that confronts us is greater because we are more specialized and more numerous. So that that kind of thing uh, is, is pretty bad. And the government of Canada is reacting the way many governments react to situations that are beyond their understanding and control. Um, harsh crackdowns and that if anything exacerbates the situation particularly globally um, because we live in a world where most places have governments that are pretty similar to one another um, at least nominally and structurally which means that uh, everyone else can kind of look and say oh well canada's financial system actually isn't reliable if you're not you know, a good party member or whatever it is that's the the standard. I wonder if our financial system is actually reliable if I'm not a good party member. And one of the one of the sort of basics of partisan politics is that most people don't vote for the winners anywhere. Um, mm. You know, particularly in parliamentary systems with third parties and so on, um, it's it's quite common that the winning party doesn't get most of the votes um but even in sort of two-party duopolies like ours and you know historic voting numbers and historic voting margins like we've we've been seeing here in this country enormous you know an enormous fraction of, of the people don't vote at all um so the last couple of presidential elections have seen a hundred million-ish, you know, plus or minus, say, 10% votes, there's 330 million people in the country. Even if you take out the kids, that's still, you know, a wild majority of, of people not even voting. Um, and a government needs, you know, its supporters, its detractors, and sort of its indifferent third parties to all be on the same page. Uh, to to function, and that's that's clearly a bridge too far for the Trudeau government. You think you think that's uh, maybe the beginning of what we're going to see around the around the globe? I mean, you figure, you know, the U.S. keeps counting tension in Ukraine. Ukraine's like, nah, calm down, guys. Um, we have, you know, uh, there's inflation going ridiculously out of control here. Uh, interest rates have started to creep up in the real estate market. I mean, all signs point to the stock market has been in the red a lot. I mean, all signs point to like a major correction coming in it for us as well. Do you think that's just like what Canada's doing is kind of that that tip of the spear that's going to continue to plunge? Uh, like I said, markets themselves um, don't work as well as they did before computers were a commonly available thing. And as computers continue to be a commonly available thing, they're going to get worse and worse at functioning. Um, uh, you might remember the Arab Spring back in the you know late 2000s, the, the late aughts. Well, one of the under, underappreciated drivers of that was that the housing bubble crash and the ripple effects actually caused world food prices to go up for a while. And when food prices go up, political unrest goes with them. Um, as, as markets work worse, you will see ripple effects that will put economic stresses on 
political, social, cultural, and religious systems. And, you know, from, from the personal, you know, like an enormous fraction of divorces are rooted in an economic trial of the family uh, to, to incredibly large scale things. Uh, the fall of the Roman Empire is, is very credibly uh, put on Diocletian's, you know, pretty much wipe out of the economy by attempting to simultaneously fix prices and uh, water down the currency by reducing the silver content. Um, so, yeah, the the these markets that we have and have had for centuries, um, just from a mathematical perspective, don't work with the technology that we have. So we are going to need to abandon either the markets or the technology. And unless- and We're not leaving with the tech, my friend. Yes, we're not, yeah. I don't see anybody dumping their cell phone anytime <laughs> soon. Right, yeah, yeah. Unless unless you think the, the chairman of Goldman Sachs can get his kids to give up their, their you know, Nintendo DSs, um, then, then it's the markets are gonna have to go. Yeah. And well, that's the way the cookie crumbles, I guess. I mean, we're gonna have to see what happens. People are gonna have to make some adjustments. It, you know, it sounds more and more like the Great Reset might be happening, whether we wanted to or not. Just the fact that it'll eventually not be able to keep up with us. Uh, it, you know, no. If people want to get a hold of you, they want to talk a little bit more about what you got going on. How do they do that? Shout out to my little friend. How do they say hello? Uh, well. Uh... As, as I think you had up there. Yeah, my LinkedIn at Noah Healy. You can uh, connect with me there. Uh, I also have a site at cordis.com uh, and there's a contact page. Uh, happy to talk to just about anybody. Sweet, man. Well, thank you very much for coming on the program today. Really appreciate you taking the time. Ladies and gents, stuff's got to change. I mean, I know sometimes I get up in the morning and now I start to feel it in my knees. I start to feel it in my arms. Well, some of the stuff we're using in business is just as archaic and you got to make some changes. Uh, Noah's trying to do that with some major, major life-changing type technologies. But nonetheless, make sure you guys take a look at what you got going on. And if you need some fixing, Make sure you know that the Business Bros are here to help you with all your marketing tips. Noah, thank you very much uh, for helping us out today, being on the show. Ladies and gents, we'll see you guys again. Manana, peace, and we're out. Thanks for watching the Business Bros. If you're ready to get more clients and want to work with the Business Bro, visit our website, www.businessbros.biz and click on the Need More Customers button or learn how to generate more referrals with our video testimonial packages. Go to www.businessbros.biz and start getting more customers today.